Well, I think it's time for some tirades this morning. I have some strongly held opinions this morning that we need to discuss uh, because, well, I, I'm 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 a little bit peeved with some folks out there right now, uh, and I, I want to discuss this. I am aggravated by it, and you should probably know about it. You you should probably know my strongly held opinions this morning. Uh, in large part, it has to do with the people who are still out undermining a lot of the claims out there by uh, Deborah Burks and the White House and so many others and by the way if you hear it in the background um there is someone literally outside my window with a weed eater uh they typically don't show up until one o'clock in the afternoon and they showed up and woke up the whole house before eight o'clock this morning and they are still here so uh we got all of that going on on top of everything else at least the leaf blower that was uh right outside the window has now gone away uh while i go on to other things uh, I, I, I want to spend a moment and I want to play this audio from Dr. Deborah Burks because this is important. This is from the White House yesterday. Let, let me set the stage here. I'm sorry. Out of the gate. I have I, I literally sat down at 745 this morning and started writing and at 840 realized the show started in 25 minutes. I haven't had a shower or coffee and I need to take action. And and so I, I rushed, jumped in the shower, uh, ran into the studio and I, I'm somewhat discombobulated, but uh, I, I got I got stuff to say. I got lots of strongly held opinions this morning, and I need to share them with you. But first, let me be the professional on radio and say, this is Eric Erickson here. It happens to be my show, and I'm happy to take your phone calls as well, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to... Uh, if you want to reach out to me, if you want to, if you want to talk, if you want to chat, if you want to, if you want to, whatever, feel free to call. I do have stuff to get into besides the virus today. I promise I have begun Tiger King. We will discuss it, uh, but also, and, and more particularly, and this is the important one. If you want to read the tirade that I wrote, um, because I feel strongly about it, and man, have I had a bunch of people um, um, email me already, and it, it hadn't even been out there for 30 minutes. Uh, feel free to text the word uh, data to 33777. You'll go to Substack. Uh, if you click the masthead up at the top, you'll be able to see my tirade this morning, and it'll be on social media. It'll be at theresurgent.com, but I, I got stuff I need to say. I want to begin with Dr. Deborah Burks, though, and her statement at the White House yesterday. I, I find it very important. You need to hear it. Here we go. Um, when you talk about could we have known something different, you know, I think all of us, I mean, I was overseas when this happened in Africa, and I think when you looked at the China data originally and you said, oh, well, there's 80 million people or 20 million people in Wuhan and 80 million people in Hubei, and they come up with a number of 50,000, you start thinking of this more like SARS than you do this kind of global pandemic. I mean, I'll just be frank, that's when I looked at it, I was like, oh, well, this is not, you know, if as close as those quarters are, you know. So I think the medical community made, interpreted the Chinese data as that this was serious, but smaller than anyone expected. Because I think probably we were missing um, significant amount of the data now that when we see what happened to Italy and we see what happened to Spain. And so what was modeled is not a lockdown. Um, two countries did 
remove people from homes that were positive and put them in separate spaces. Um, that also wasn't modeled, but it could be modeled. And so we could go back and ask the modelers about lockdown versus not lockdown, but what they modeled was people staying at home. I guess what I was asking is for best case scenario, since it says best case scenario is 100,000 people, I know you're trying to get that number even lower, but is best case scenario every state basically having lockdown behavior, not maybe actual lockdowns, but basically everyone staying in their homes. So if that's, and if that, if that's true, why not tell every state to do that? It's everybody social distancing by six feet when they're outside. There you go. The modeling, the modeling. I want to spend some time on the modeling because I got to tell you, I, I'm I'm upset with some, and I didn't even know I was upset with the people. And I've started going and started looking, and I actually am rather upset with. Oh, shut up, Siri. I, I I am actually a little bit upset with some people. The modeling, I you know, you can sit at home behind your keyboard and say the modeling is all wrong, and this is no big deal, and and America's awesome, and no one's going to die, and it's a media conspiracy to get Donald Trump, and you can say that behind your keyboard at home because you're not leaving the house. I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really aggravated in, in, with a whole bunch of people today, and I'm just going to get it off my chest uh, for three hours today. You, and we'll talk about Tiger King and other stuff, too. But it is, it is aggravating on one hand to have the media demanding to know why the president, who was in the middle of being impeached by the media and Democrats, wasn't paying attention to a virus in China when China was lying. And it's also really aggravating to look at the bunch of people saying, the meddling is wrong, the meddling is wrong. So why is every global scientist on the planet and every world leader paying attention to the modeling when with some bozo in, in oh, I'm going to say bad words, I, I, I need to slow down. When some bozo behind a keyboard who isn't an epidemiologist and the only model he knows about is the one that you glue the wings on and, and fly the propeller, uh, is somehow thinks that he's suddenly the expert because he read, read Wikipedia. Y'all, the modeling is not supposed to be accurate. The modeling is supposed to tell you where things are headed and how things are going to shape. And, and the good models adjust based on the data that's come in. As an aside, I'm going to to, to begin and, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here. How many of you refuse to believe the epidemiological models because the idiot global warming hysteria that's been out there for two decades, uh, that by now Miami should be underwater, New York City should be underwater, uh, the deserts of Arizona should be beachfront property, all the polar bears are dead, the penguins now fly, there is no ice in the Arctic, and the tundra in, in the Soviet, then Russia has become a swamp. Because that, that, that's what you hear on a daily basis, is it not? The, how, the, the, the global warming alarmists have helped undermine all of the case for epidemiological modeling. We've done epidemiological modeling for more than 100 years. 
Epidemiological modeling is not meant to be accurate or precise. It's meant to show you here's what will more likely than not happen if we do nothing. Here's what will happen if you put everyone in their houses and lock the doors from the outside so they can't get out. And here's what will happen in between. Here's how many hospital beds we have. Here's the rate of the viral spread. Here's how many people are expected to come into contact with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can build your parameters for public policy around that. Everybody models. Now, I realize if you're what's called an employee and not an employer, you may not understand this, but your employer does revenue projections for the coming year based on prior year's performance, economic trends, et cetera. And so they can build their future business around their projections and they're subject to change. Every single person on the planet does modeling. Many of you yourselves do a model. It's called a budget. You perceive that you're going to have this much revenue and here's where all of your expenses are going to go and something may come along and throw you for a loop. And guess what? You're going to adjust your projections based on that. It's budgeting. Essentially, this epidemiological modeling is budgeting. How many people are going to die? How many people are going to need a hospital bed? How many people are going to need a ventilator? How many people are going to be in ICU? What can we expect? When will it go away? When will it change? That's all it is. But since the 1980s, we have all been subjected to a mass hysteria by a bunch of communists who, after the fall of the Soviet Union ended their subsidy, they became environmentalists and got the American government to cover their money. And they run around hysterically saying, we've got to end capitalism. It's going to destroy the world and global warming. The Arctic should be completely melted by now. The polar bears should all be dead. New York should be underwater. Arizona should be on the beach because California has broken away and sunk. We've heard about this for years. Remember, just, just a, a few months ago, the rainforests of Brazil were devastating on fire. Never mind that they've had fires all the time. And you know, I'm actually in the camp where uh, the, the environment actually, yes, the I do believe climate change is real. I, oh, I know, her, heresy, heresy on the right. I actually do think the climate, the climate's always changed. As to the degree that mankind is playing, I, I think it's still up for more debate than the global warming people would have you believe. I mean, hell, the global warming people uh, still embrace the idea that if everybody just died off. I mean, you've got environmentalists out there right now thinking that this, this, this global pandemic is a good thing. Let everybody die. Mother Nature will heal herself. This is Mother Nature harming the virus of mankind by giving the, there are people actually out there who believe that there are people who believe that a child in a womb is a parasite there are all sorts of people out there but for years we have heard so much bad about uh models from climate change and there have been so many bad models and so much hysteria it has allowed people to now not believe the models related to climate change it has allowed people to not believe the modeling by epidemiologists that we've used for a hundred years the difference between the epidemiological models and the climate change models is that as new data comes in the epidemiological models more and more comport to the reality we're seeing the climate change models are still run by a bunch of mass hysterics wanting government grants uh, to give them more money to, to deal with more nightmare scenarios and polar bears dying when the polar bears are actually rebounded and doing quite well 
What's amazing to me, though, are the number of people who can sit comfortably on their couch today and, and try to make everyone else prove a negative and say it's really not that bad. No one really is dying. All of these things are exaggerated. And by the way, the media doesn't help. It doesn't help that CBS News is showing field hospital imagery from Italy instead of what's actually happening in New York City. The New York situation is bad enough. We don't need to see the Italian situation and claim that it's the, the New York situation. That just helps undermine it altogether. But you've got bits and you've got bits and pieces that are mistakes or, or idiocy from the media. And, and the people who want you to know that this virus Irish really isn't real. The hospitals really aren't overwhelmed. No one's really dying out there. No one's going to get sick. And ah, if it's grandma, well, grandma's lived a good life. What about me? I went out of the house. That, that, that these people will take it very much like Satan did scripture, tempting Jesus, twisting parts of scripture to try to undermine Christ. Thankfully, Christ would, had more common sense than many of the people out there behind a keyboard right now trying to tell you people that it's no big deal. It actually is a very big deal. All you need to do is go to Albany, Georgia. You don't even have to go to New York City. Those of you who aren't sheltered in place, get in your car and just go down to Albany. Don't get out of your car because you may very well get the virus down there. But you can go down to Albany. Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital, completely overwhelmed. Out of resources, out of beds, out of ICU, out of ventilators. They need help. They actually do need help. They need doctors. They need nurses. They need supplies. And do you know why? Because a preacher preached a funeral in Albany, Georgia, and he was infected and he didn't know it. And the virus began spreading through the people who attended the funeral, and they went into the community and gave it to other people, and those people gave it to other people. There are now over 400 cases in Albany. There are over uh, about 30 deaths in Albany, 90% of them African-American. It has spread over into Lee County as well. They're all in shelter in place. That's how contagious this virus is. That's how deadly this virus is. And there are people out there, well, it's only 400 people. There are 89,000 people in, in Albany. It's just not that bad. Yeah, but you know why there are only 400 people and not 1,000 people? Because people started staying home. The, the willfulness of both sides right now to try to undermine the situation where truth and fact no longer matter, it, it's, it's partisan talking points on both sides. But you know, actually, who's being the grown-up right now? The president of the United States is being the grown-up here. The president of the United States wanted to open the country by Easter and has decided, you know what? I can't open it by Easter. The virus is still spreading and a whole lot of people are going to die. It's really kind of funny to see the president's supporters out there saying, oh, no, we got to open the country. The, the president's advisors, they're working for Joe Biden. They're trying to, to, to undermine the president. You can say that because you're stuck at home with your supply of toilet paper and you're not going to leave the house and spread the virus. It is amazing how many keyboard warriors out there right now are trying to convince you to leave your house and get the virus while they're at home telling you it's no big deal. It is also amazing to see the reporters in New York City who are perfectly willing to give the mayor of New York a pass, the, the, the governor of New York a pass, the health commissioner of New York City a pass, the Chinese communist government a pass, and every other global leader a pass but Donald Trump. Somehow it's all Donald Trump's fault. It's not Nancy Pelosi's fault who was telling people come on to San Francisco and Chinatown. It's great. It's not Bill de Blasio's fault who was telling people go on out to the subways and the bars the day before St. Patrick's Day. It's not the New York City Health Commissioner's fault who was telling people this virus isn't going to spread in the community. You can go out and hang out with your friends and, and have drinks and go to restaurants. No, no, no. It's not any of their fault. It's Donald Trump's fault. And when Donald Trump shut down travel to China, he was a racist for doing it. And when Donald Trump didn't order the entire country into lockdown, he was not taking it seriously. And when Donald Trump said, hey, maybe we do need a lockdown in New York City and in Connecticut and New Jersey, oh my God, we can't do that, Mr. President, that's unconstitutional. The media has designed this in such a way that there is no way for the president to ever win the argument with them. But some of the president's supporters have designed the argument in such a way 
that they get to, from the comfort of their home, tell you it really is no big deal and it's all a media conspiracy. And meanwhile, they'd get their butts arrested if they tried to leave their house because it actually is a big deal and a bunch of people are dying. Where's the humility in all this? Everyone has decided they need to be some sort of braggadocious jerk as opposed to actually paying attention to the facts and the science. And oh, by the way, the scientists have spent 20 years undermining the whole situation by trying to get government grants by uh, scaring people that the world's got 10 years left. And the world's been having 10 years left for the last 20 years and the world's still fine and we're still fine. Everybody's trying to make a buck off disaster. The phone number here, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to get my email from this morning, uh, that my goodness, uh, the, the the number of people who are, are chiming in on it, um, I just, I, I and I can't read you, I, 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 I use some bad, I, I try never to use bad words in my writing, certainly not on this radio show, but I, I, you used the phrase braggadocious a-holes this morning um, about a number of people. And it's, it's well, uh, y'all, I'm, I'm frustrated here. And I didn't know that I was subtweeting friends of mine until I got an angry email um, fr- from a friend of mine who turns out is, is an arch conspiracy theorist uh, and prepper. And I, I really genuinely had no idea. And the, and the bizarre thing about it is that he's a conspiracy theorist and prepper. And I, I probably have lost a friendship over this. Um, he's, a, he's a conspiracy theorist and a prepper, uh, but he's also convinced that the models are all wrong and, and we're really not seeing all the people dying that we're seeing. And he, he, I'm trying to get him. I, I actually did suggest to him he's under lockdown in his part of the country. And I, I suggested he get out of the house and go volunteer at his local hospital. Well, no, I can't do that. I, I got to stay home. They'll, they'll arrest me. Not, not if you're going to volunteer at the hospital, you chicken. It's just, it's, it's annoying, frankly, because I think at this point, the president's supporters could win him the election if they embraced the modeling. And instead, they're still so busy undermining the modeling and saying the modeling isn't true when the White House itself has accepted the modeling. Uh, here is, uh, this audio you need to hear. Uh, this is the, the, the audio that has, this is leading the headlines today. Dr. Fauci, should Americans be prepared for the likelihood that there will be a hundred thousand Americans who die from this virus? The the answer is yes. We need as, as, as sobering a number as that is, we should be prepared for it. Is it going to be that much? I hope not, and I think the more we push on the mitigation, the less likelihood it would be that number. But as being realistic, we need to prepare ourselves that that is a possibility that that's what we will see. Very short period of time for that to happen. Right. Can the country handle that in such a short period of time, within a couple of months, you know, 50,000 a month? You know, it will be difficult. I mean, no one is denying the fact that we are going through a very, very difficult time right now. I mean, we're seeing what's happening in New York. That is really, really tough. And if you extrapolate that to the nation, that will be really tough. But it, that's what it is, Jim, and we're going to have to be prepared for that. Yeah, I think because the model, that model that was from IHME, that's based and heavily laden by the data that has come in from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. So, you know, that can skew to a higher peak and more significant mortality. If all of the other states are able, and all the other metro areas are able to hold that case number down, 
then it's a very different picture. But you have to predict on the data you have, which is heavily skewed to New York and New Jersey. I want to spend a good bit of time on that when we come back. Because it's 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 not as complex as it sounds and actually more complex than it sounds at the same time. And my, my goal here is not to bore you. And it, 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 it's not even really to entertain you, although as a radio show host, that's my number one job. But it is to make you smarter than all of your friends because this statement's going to come up and you need to be able to explain it to your friends. We'll do that when we come back. So this is actually a rather amazing thing. Uh, Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, and I will take your phone calls, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I I try to video live stream my show uh, and to use Facebook Live, and I have a very high-speed connection in my house that makes it possible. And I've actually got a hard-line Ethernet connection to make it possible. Uh, instead of using Wi-Fi, and uh, the system I use finds a a clear path between my internet connection and and the Facebook Live system, and it has literally been trying since 9.25 a.m. It is now 9.36 a.m. It has been trying to find a clear connection uh, between my house and Facebook to do a, a stream, and it is thus far impossible. Uh, I, I mean, I, I genuinely, let me see if I, I lower the buffering. May, maybe, just maybe, I can optimize the connection if I if I lower the resolution. It's just, I've never seen it like this. Uh, th- there are days that it's flaking. There are times that it doesn't work. But there are so many people on the series of tubes known as the Internet right now that I cannot find a clear path to do a uh, live stream that doesn't cut in and out regularly. Uh, just just amazing. Uh, by the way, uh, so many of you are using Zoom. There is a report out now that the in addition to Zoom being unable to encrypt your video feeds, as Zoom has claimed it could, that Zoom's infrastructure, it turns out, is in communist China. So everything you're sending in your Zoom calls is being routed through Chinese communist military servers. So well done. In addition to TikTok, uh, Zoom is routing you through China for all of that stuff as well. Those of you who are up to no good on Zoom, I await the Chinese communist blackmailers coming for you, which I got stuff to say on, on that. But first, I want to walk you through the modeling because my goal here is to make you smarter than your friends. And and this is going to be so buzzed about it already is. This is the lead story today. The White House comes to terms with the casualty toll. I, I actually, I, I want to spend a little a bit of time here. I want to play the soundbite for you again first so you understand what actually is going on. Dr. Fauci, should Americans be prepared for the likelihood that there will be 100,000 Americans who die from this virus? The, the answer is yes. We need as, as sobering a number as that is. We should be prepared for it. Is it going to be that much? I hope not. And I think the more we push on the mitigation, the less likelihood it would be that number. But as being realistic, we need to prepare ourselves that that is a possibility that that's what we will see. Very short period of time for that to happen. Can the country handle that in such a short period of time within a couple of months? 50,000 a month. 
You know, it will be difficult. I mean, no one is denying the fact that we are going through a very, very difficult time right now. I mean, we're seeing what's happening in New York. That is really, really tough. And if you extrapolate that to the nation, that will be really tough. But it, that's what it is, Jim, and we're going to have to be prepared for that. Yeah, I think because the model, that model that was from IHME, that's based and heavily laden by the data that has come in from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. So, you know, that can skew to a higher peak and more significant mortality. If all of the other states are able, and all the other metro areas are able to hold that case number down, then it's a very different picture. But you have to predict on the data you have, which is heavily skewed to New York and New Jersey. Now, let, let's let's break this down. Um, if you text the word data to 33777, uh, what's going to come back is a link, not to my tirade this morning, though you'll be able to find it. What's going to come back is a link to a page, the title of which is Useful COVID-19 Information and Links. And it's divided into four sections, this page I created for you. Uh, there are four links about virus tracking, one link about projections, uh, four links about the stimulus plan, and then two other links. And I'm adding to these as things go along. So if every time you text data to 33777, it's going to come back to this link, but you may find other stuff there. Now, under projections, there's just one link. And the link goes to the um, the, the ICHM tracking. Now, what is the, or IHME, I'm sorry, the IHME. IHME is the Institute for Health Metrics. Uh, and I forget what the, the E stands for. Um, what does the E stand for? Institute for Health Metrics and some such. In, in any event, um, what the IMHE is, is uh, it is a bunch of epidemiologists who are experts at building models for how things will play out. And they change it based in real world data. And you can, if you follow the link, again, text data to 33777, you can see it for yourself. Uh, they've got the United States and then they've got all the states broken down. And I'm, I'm going to do Georgia because the, the modeling has shifted and it changes every 12 hours in Georgia. The reason it changes every 12 hours in Georgia is because it updates as the updates from Georgia come in. And it does this with every state. And so the modeling changes on a constant basis, and that's good. That's what you want. You want a model that changes based on the data. Again, look at the climate change data where we're all going to die in 10 years. And 10 years from now, think of all the people who will have wasted their lives because they, they will have thought we were all going to die, and then suddenly it gets here 10 years from now and we have it. Climate change modelers consistently use modeling to paint nightmare scenarios that don't come about and in the process undermine everyone and everything. The epidemiological models actually pull in the real-world data. And so on a daily basis, the models change. So, for example, yesterday, according to the data in Georgia, Georgia would never exceed hospital capacity. We will see a peak of resources on April 23rd, and yesterday the data showed we won't actually max out our resources. As a result of that, 
Um, there's there's a website, uh, COVID Act Now, and it is full of hysterics demanding that Governor Kemp do a complete shelter in place. And yesterday they said that uh, we would be absolutely A-OK and fine uh, until between April 6th and 11th. Last week, they were saying that nightmare scenario would come if we didn't shut down on March 24th. So at least they're adjusting their data um, based on the data, although there's still a bunch of hysterics. But this IHME model is the one that Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci referenced. And Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci believe that we will see the peak of this come through the the end of April, sometime around April 23rd, and we will recede from there, but that we will see a bunch of people die in the process. Now, here's what you also need to know. The modeling is not wrong because the modeling are projections used to help build informed opinions. And as the data changes, the models change. That is point one. Every single day, the modeling changes based on the real-world data. That means it's a credible model. It is a model that the White House uses. If it's good enough for Donald Trump and Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci, it should be good enough for you. But here's the other point. As Dr. Burks noted, overwhelmingly, the models are being shaped by what's happening in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut dropped the ball. Donald Trump did not drop the ball. New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut dropped the ball. We're going to see 100 to 200,000 deaths because in New York City, the mayor of New York and his health commissioner, up until two days before, uh, up until two days before St. Patrick's Day, we're still telling people to get out there and have fun and ride the subway and enjoy life. Uh, we have a lot of information now. The information is actually showing us things that should give us more reason to stay calm and go about our lives. Because of the fact that this New Yorker took early action and we know that there's currently no indication that it's easy to transmit by casual contact. There's no need to do any special anything in the community. We want New Yorkers to go about their daily lives, ride the subway, take the bus, go see your neighbors. This should not stop you from going about your life, should not stop you from going to Chinatown and going out to eat. I'm gonna do that today myself. The important thing for New Yorkers to know is that in the city currently, their risk is low and our city preparedness is high. And so we know that this virus can be transmitted from one individual to another, but that it's typically people who live together. That there's no risk at this point in time, we're always learning more about having it be transmitted in casual contact, mm -hmm. right? So we're telling New Yorkers, go about your lives, take the subway, go out, enjoy life, but practice everyday precautions. Well, 8.6 million people here. We have 25 cases as of this morning, uh, and we care deeply about each of those individuals, but against the backdrop of 8.6 million people, and for the vast majority of New Yorkers, life is going on pretty normally right now, and we want to encourage that. Look, we've, we've got to look out for people here, especially those who are over 50 years old and have pre-existing conditions like lung disease, heart disease, cancer, diabetes. These are the folks we really, really need to be careful for. But if you're under 50 and you're healthy, which is most New Yorkers, uh, there's very little threat here. This disease, even if you were to get it, basically acts like a common cold or flu. The projection models are, are just that. They are models of projections. They're not 
necessarily definitive, but it's the only device that we have to plan, right? Follow the data, follow the data, follow the data. The uh, actual hospitalizations have moved at a higher rate than the projected models, than all the projected models. I put that montage together. That's Andrew Cuomo at the end noting that the models have actually undercounted what's happening in New York City. But de Blasio and his health commissioner were out there right up until St. Patrick's Day telling people to get out and enjoy the city life, get out and enjoy the subway, get out and enjoy restaurants and bars, get out and enjoy the community. And now New York is overwhelmed. Let, let me give you what the epidemiological models show in New York City. But but Trump, you know, Trump's all to blame for this. Pay, pay no attention to Blasio and his health commissioner. Here's what the models are showing. Uh, the, the peak will be April 9th. There will be a 62,214 bed shortage and a 10,903 bed shortage in ICU. That's what they're dealing with. And by the way, you you understand, please, I hope, that uh, Samaritan's Purse is up there helping set up field hospitals to help them make up this capacity of needing 62,214 hospital beds. And you've got progressive activists in New York City blasting them because they're Christian. They don't want the help from the Christians. Here in Georgia, the situation is different. In Georgia... Right now, we may have an 850 hospital bed shortage and a 792 ICU bed shortage, maybe. Yesterday, we were fine. Today, we're not. The reason is because the data changed, because the modeling changed, because the the data came in overnight and saw a spike in deaths after a daily decline in deaths. And it's going to change again tomorrow as well. But Georgia's in, in, in good stead right now. But that's, that's the point that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks are making. We, we The models show 100, 200,000 dead. And right now, they're preparing people for that because they believe this IHME model is actually a very good model. Why is it a very good model? Because it adjusts based on the daily data coming in. And they can adjust based on that, and they have good metrics. They know the number of hospital beds per state. They know the number of ICU beds per state. They know the number of ventilators in in states, how many ventilators are going to be needed. They know all this stuff. They've calculated that data. But the problem Overall in the nation is that the situation in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut is so bad, it's skewing the models in their way. So the ultimate issue here is that the rest of the nation is not going to be like New York City, but the media lives in New York City. And so the reporters who are reporting from New York City are reporting it based on what's happening in New York City. The situation is bad. Wherever you live, the situation is bad. In some parts of the country, it's worse. In Albany, Georgia, it is bad. In Fulton County, Georgia, it is bad. In New Orleans, it is bad. In Hillsborough County, Florida, it is bad. But none of those are as bad as New York City. And so you need to keep that perspective in mind when we talk about the modeling. Is the modeling accurate? Well, the modeling is a projection and it changes daily based on data coming in, which means it's a credible model. It is a model the White House accepts. It is a model that the president accepts. If it's good enough for the president, it should be good enough for you. But the modeling changes based on the data on a daily basis. But we also need to remember that we have a New York-centric media and the centri- and the problems in New York City are compounded by the incompetence of the local government in New York City 
And the media can't bring themselves to blame the mayor of New York City. The media wants to blame the president for New York City's own problems. Could the president have done other things differently? Yes. Despite what he said yesterday, yes, the president could have done stuff differently. But remember when the president did act decisively and stop travel with China, the media called him a racist. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's start the phone calls with Russ. You're going to be the first caller. Russ, welcome. Hey, Eric, I got a question for you. I figure you can get to the bottom of this. Uh, all right. Been hearing about all the uh, cases of the coronavirus and the deaths, and I, I live in middle Georgia. And last week, a man about, I think he was in his mid-50s, he was a nurse in uh, Baldwin County, uh, died of it. And But they said, his wife said he'd had 12, 12 years, he'd had a heart trouble, congestive heart failure. Now, my question is, all these deaths they're reporting from coronavirus, are are the underlying issues, the underlying health issues, the real cause, and the coronavirus just kind of helps it along? I mean, how are they how are they re, you know sort of separating the the actual deaths from coronavirus versus death so from something like what we? That's such a good question, Russ. And and what we know is that uh, the coronavirus tends to prey on the elderly and those with underlying conditions, and overwhelmingly the people who are dying are people who have underlying conditions. Uh, and those underlying conditions tend to be heart issues and lung issues, uh, primarily heart issues and asthma. And the reason is because the, the virus attacks the heart, we now know. Uh, it, it goes into the pulmonary system and begins to attack the heart. And so if you have a series of heart attacks, you've got heart blockages, uh, you have high blood pressure, uh, the virus is targeting your heart area. And so those underlying conditions are amplified by the virus. So it's the virus that's killing the people, but the virus has an easier time of killing the people because of their underlying conditions. To give you perspective on this, we have had now in Georgia 125 deaths. Uh, that's 3% mortality. And if you text, uh, Russ, if, if you're curious about this, you can text data to 33777. And there's a link that you'll see when you click the, the link and open it in a browser. There's a link to Georgia data. And at the bottom of Georgia data, it shows every single person who's died by county and whether or not they had an underlying condition. And in the uh, hundred some odd deaths in Georgia, I think there are less than 10 that did not have underlying conditions. Uh, in fact, let's see, there's a an 89-year-old female in Clark County with no underlying conditions, a 56-year-old man in Cobb County with no underlying conditions, a 67-year-old man with no underlying conditions in Cobb County. Um, there's a 66-year-old man in Douglas County with no underlying conditions, a 51-year-old female in Fayette County with no underlying conditions. And that's it. That's five people. Five people with no underlying conditions. Now, there are a number with unknown underlying, whether or not it's unknown, but but the odds are most of them as well had underlying conditions. So that's five people out of 125 who had no underlying conditions and everyone else did. And by the way, the, the bulk of the people are over 60 still who are dying. Uh, but there's a 31-year-old man in DeKalb County who died with an underlying condition and a 48-year-old woman in Early County who died, but she had an underlying condition as well. Uh, Bill and Winder, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, Bill. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Um, I do agree that you know people need to stay in their homes as much as they possibly can. 
Um, what concerns me now, Gwinnett County has now issued a statement. Um, uh, they have an emergency hotline for you to call and report people who are violating the stay-at-home orders. I'm like, that's just what we need is people calling on their neighbors now. Oh, my God. That's so East German. Man, stuff like that makes me mad. Um, you know, by the way, uh, the, the Alpharetta area, or not Alpharetta, Cumming, is hiring 125 part-time police officers to go uh, snoop on people to make sure they're staying in their houses. Um, this is this is what makes me want to encourage everyone to go outside. Uh, and it's not that I want people to go outside. I think people need to stay home. But the, the government encouraging you to rat out your neighbor is what communist regimes do. Uh, it is not what the United States does. Uh, and it shows, frankly, the decline of the United States as a moral society when the government is having to behave like communist regimes, atheist communist regimes used to behave, to have people turn in their neighbors. It's infuriating to me to see the government do that. Shame on Cobb County. But you know what? Shame on the people of Cobb County for not doing what they're supposed to be doing as well. It, it, it takes two to tango in this regard. But, you know, if you want to see what this playing out in in uh, Great Britain right now, the police are being overwhelmed with tattletales. In fact, it's gotten to the point where the police are asking people in Great Britain to stop tattletaling. Uh, in in one part of Great Britain, people are literally calling their 999 services, our 911, that people are calling 999, overwhelming the service, because their neighbors are going out for a jog a second time. You're allowed to go outside for a jog, but not twice in a day. And so neighbors are ratting out other neighbors for going out to exercise. This is, we live in a fallen world, and this should convince you of it. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. I'm going to try a live stream again. We'll see how stable it is uh, on, on Facebook. And not looking that good. Man, everybody is on the internet today, folks. The phone number here, if you want to call into the show, 404, nope, wrong number, 877-973-7425. Uh, thankfully, got blue skies outside in Georgia today. Uh, I'm just giving up on the live stream now. It's it's pathetic. Uh, if Philip is listening, someone tell Philip to go in and delete all that. <laughs> it's nice to have Minion who can do that sort of stuff. Now, uh, I, I, I got to move on. Uh, there, there are plenty of things we need to still talk about, and I got a great interview I want you to hear at the bottom of the hour. There's a company that has invented a robot that has a special light bulb for the head of this robot. Uh, and a, someone from the Department of Energy told me about it and said, you should really interview this guy. You want to talk about American innovation uh, in a time of crisis? This is it. This robot can go into hospital rooms, turn this light on, and it kills every living thing in the, in the room, uh, including viruses and bacteria. And so these can be manufactured rapidly. And uh, th these light bulbs can be turned on in rooms. It's a special Xenon light bulb uh, that kills all living things. And you sterilize hospital rooms very, very quickly by bouncing this light around the room. And uh, th they're ramping up production and want to talk to the CEO of the company about it. It's a fascinating concept. Now, we need to discuss the president's uh, press conference yesterday and what else is going on out there in the news today. There is some Kelly Leffler news, but I want to, I, I want to pause before I go into anything else because first I need to do the audit of the viral spread in Georgia. 
And then we need to talk about the Tiger King. We, I, I, I began watching it. I promised you I would. Uh, we, we need to talk about something other than the virus. We all need a break for a little bit. So please, let, let's have a break. But um, I want to give you the case count right now in Georgia, updated as of last night. There are 4,117 cases, 885 people in the hospital, and 125 people died. That's a 21.5% hospitalization rate, which is the national average. That is a 3.04% death rate, which is slightly less than the global average. But everyone's seeing around a 3% death rate now. Here is the count. 599 cases in Fulton. Uh, That's where 18 of the deaths are. 466 in Darty County. That's where 26 of the deaths are. Darty County in Albany uh, leads the deaths. 360 in DeKalb County with four deaths, 287 in Cobb County with 13 deaths. All the other counties have single-digit deaths or none. Uh, There are 242 cases in Gwinnett, 137 in Bartow, 123 in Carroll, 112 in Clayton, 90 in Lee, 86 Henry, 78 Cherokee, 67 Hall, 51 Clark, 51 Douglas, 50 Floyd, 48 Fayette, 47 Forsyth, 45 Rockdale, 41 Coweta, 40 in Richmond, 40 in Terrell, 35 Sumter, 34 Mitchell, 32 Chatham, 32 Early, 31 Newton, 31 Paulding, 30 in Houston, uh, 28 Worth, 24 Columbia, 23 Lowndes, 20 in Bibb, Calkwood, and Tift, 19 in Barrow and Muskogee, 18 in Troop, 17 in Glen, 16 in Crisp, Gordon, and Oconee, 15 in Polk and Spalding, 13 in Lawrence, 11 in Coffee. 10 in Dawson, Thomas, Ware, and Whitfield, 9 in Calhoun and Walton, 8 in Burke, Butts, Decatur, Dooley, and Jackson, 7 in Bryan, Green, Lumpkin, Peach, Pickens, 6 in Merriweather and Seminole, 5 in Bacon, Baldwin, Clay, Effingham, Harrelson, Liberty, Monroe, Murray, Randolph, and Upson, 4 in Baker, Camden, Contusa, Fanning, Franklin, Hart, Lincoln, Miller, Sly, Stevens, Turner, and Washington, Three in Banks, Ben Hill, Chattooga, Harris, Irwin, Jones, Lamar, Madison, McDuffie, Pierce, Pulaski, Tombs, Warren, and White. Two in Brooks, Bullock, Dodge, Habersham, Jasper, Jefferson, Macon, Morgan, Pike, Rabin, Tattnall, Taylor, Twiggs, and Wilkes. And then one in Appling, Berrien, Bleckley, Candler, Charlton, Chattahoochee, Clinch, Cook, Dade, Emmanuel, Gilmer, Grady, Hurd, Jenkins, Johnson, Long, McIntosh, Oglethorpe, Screvin, Stewart, Talbot, Walker, Webster, Wheeler, Wilcox, and Wilkinson. There are 183 in counties uh, about which we do not know uh, where they reside or where they have come from. Now, I will take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. What I find very interesting here, and I want to give you these names of counties as well, because there are only a handful of counties left that do not have cases. Union and Towns County up on the the North Georgia line. Elbert County, uh, which is just south of Hart County, just north of Lincoln County. It's on the South Carolina line. Uh, Tolliver County still, Putnam, Hancock, and Glasscock County, just south of I-20. Crawford County, which is just to the west of Bibb County, uh, Macon, just to the west of Macon. Uh, Marion County, which is just to the east of Columbus. Quitman County, which is just north of Dothan, Alabama. 
Eccles County, which is just no, or right next to Valdosta, to the east of Valdosta, Lanier County, which is to the east of Valdosta, Atkinson County, which is down in South Georgia, that's Pearson, uh, Oberry, Georgia. There's Brantley County uh, and Wayne County, Montgomery County, Truitland County, and Evans County. They're virus-free, and that's it. So we got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 counties. Out of Georgia's 159 counties, 18 are virus-free. And they will still probably get it. Now, you go down to southeast Georgia, though. And it, let me just give you the audit trail in southeast Georgia. And there's a method to my madness here. Uh, Ware County is Waycross. And they've got... Uh, 10 cases in Waycross. Douglas, Georgia, uh, in Coffee County, has 11 cases. But around it, you've got in Clinch County, one case, uh, none in Atkinson, none in Lanier, none in Eccles. You've got four in Camden County and one in Charlton County. Uh, that guy may be recovered now because if you'll recall, that case was March 10th. And so that person, the odds are that person's recovered. But you got none in Brantley. You got none in Wayne County. That's Jessup, Georgia. Uh, you got uh, Long County has one case. Appling County has a case. Tattano County has two. Uh, Toombs County, that's the Vidalia area. They got uh, three cases, Lyons and Vidalia down there. None in Montgomery County. That's the Mount Vernon area, um, Bruton Parker College. And my point there is that down in southeast Georgia, you got some counties with cases, but you, you you've also they, they've got very few cases, and you got some rural areas of the state where there are none. Soperton in Trutland County, Soperton has no cases. Soperton is just south of Swainsboro, uh, just to the east of Dublin. Uh, I sixteen runs through it, no cases there. They'll eventually get a case probably. Uh, Tolliver County is the one I've kept my eye on, and and the reason I've kept my eye on on Tolliver County is because Tolliford County, that's Crawfordville, it is uh, right next to Greene County, Greensboro, and Lake Oconee area. And it has it's a rural part of the state, and uh, it is surrounded now on all but its south side with cases. It's got I-20 running through it, but it's a rural area, and it doesn't have a, a big industrial base. And it doesn't really have – there's one BP station off the interstate. Uh, you can take Carl Sanders Highway, I-20, uh, you can get off at, at Georgia 22, uh, just south of Crawfordville, and there's a BP, and that's it. Otherwise, you, you'll drive all the way through Tolliver County, and there's nothing there. And south of it, in Hancock County, it's even more rural. Hancock County is Sparta. you got Hancock State Prison, probably the biggest industry there, and Lake Sinclair cuts through there, and there are no cases. And you've also got over in the Eatonton area in Putnam County, which also has Sin Sinclair and Oconee. Uh, those lakes are there as well, and, and it doesn't have cases. And so there are parts of Georgia that don't have cases. There are urban parts of the state that have mass number of cases. There's Albany that has a ton of cases. And the state, the governor, has decided to take a regional approach, and I think he's wise to do that. Uh, why does Eatonton need to be shut down when nobody in Hancock County has the virus? Why does Sparta need to be shut down when nobody there has the virus? Now, Fulton County probably does need to be shut down. And for the life of me, I can't understand why people in Fulton County are, they're, they're in the fetal position crying, Brian Kemp, Brian Kemp, please save me from myself, as opposed to Fulton County shutting down the county.
you know, why are the county commissioners in these areas uh, expecting the governor to tell them to do the right thing? You know, we as a people and y'all, I, I want to talk about it. We'll, we're going to talk about the Tiger King today. If it kills me, we're going to talk about it. And I've only one episode in, but there's actually a larger point to be made there. But but I, I got to make this point because because this is important. Why do you need the government to save you from yourself? Why does anybody need the government to save them from themselves? I, this, this boggles my mind. You know, if you've listened to this program, I started this program on August 11th. And if you have listened to this program since January, I have been telling you, you need to prepare. There is a virus coming to the United States and you need to prepare because it could disrupt supply chains. It could disrupt supply lines. It could disrupt things and make your life more difficult. And so I've been, since January, I myself have been practicing what I've been preaching. Every time I've gone to the grocery store, I bought a few extra canned goods. Every time I've gone to the grocery store, I bought a little extra toilet paper. Every time I've gone to the grocery store, I got some extra spaghetti noodles. Every time I've gone to the grocery store, I got an extra chicken nuggets because my kid would starve to death if I didn't have chicken nuggets. And every time I've gone, I bought a little bit more. As long as I have power so the freezer stays frozen, I could survive in my house without leaving for probably a month or so because I got enough food because I've been stockpiling over time. I haven't been hoarding. I haven't been like the idiot down in, in, in um oh, what is that? Uh, so there's a Kroger, Hartley Bridge Road. You drive 75 south in Macon. You drive 75 south. You're headed to Houston County. Uh, there's an exit, Hartley Bridge Road, and there's a giant Kroger right there. And I've had multiple people tell me they were the same day, the same day they were in the grocery store and some toothless couple came out with four grocery carts full of two-liter bottles of Coke, a bunch of beer, and toilet paper and paper towels. Who the hell does that? Uh, hoarders. That's who hoarders. Uh, I had multiple, multiple people who listened to this program on WMAC and Macon were all there that day. And they saw the same couple coming out four grocery carts full of two liter bottles and beer and toilet paper and paper towels. I guess they're going to be on a liquid diet for the next month. If you bother to listen to me since January, I've been telling you just buy a little extra every time. And you know what, if you can't, you know, on, on my evening show, I endorse Omaha Steaks and I actually did this. I, I went to Omaha Steaks website because I couldn't find chicken breasts and they've got great chicken breasts and they got those little filet mignons that have the bacon wrapped around them. And so I ordered them from there. I got those in the freezer. If we need them on, if, if we're out of luck, if we can't find food, I ordered from Omaha Steaks. I actually literally did. And I got some food from DeBraga as well. DeBraga is a great butcher shop in New York City. And I got some New York strips from there. And Porter Road in Nashville is another great butcher shop. I got some stuff from there. I got some ground beef from there. They've got dry-aged ground beef that is fantastic. But I went to Omaha Steaks. I went to Porter Road. I went to Bragg. I got food from there. And I've got beans. I got dried beans. I've got canned beans. And I've been doing this for months. Why do you people need the government to tell you what to do? And why does anyone need the government to tell people to stay in their home? You should stay there. There is a virus running rampant for which you have no immunity. And if you get it and you have an underlying health condition or you're old, you may die. 
3% of the people who get it die, but 20% of the people go to the hospital. Do you want to be one of the people who takes up a bed in the hospital when there's someone in there who actually needs a hospital bed, when all you had to do was keep your happy butt on the couch for a couple of weeks? Listen, and this is not to make light of the economic impact. There clearly is a middle ground between economic depression and keeping everyone at home for the rest of the year. There's clearly a middle ground, but right now the middle ground is keep your butt on the couch. Why do you need the government to compel you to do the right thing? A moral good people do not need the government to tell them to do the right thing. And yet in Gwinnett County, they're having to have police call neighbors to turn in other neighbors for refusing to do the right thing. Why? Why can't you just do the right thing? And, you know, the odds are I'm not actually talking about you guys who are listening to this program because the odds are you've taken me seriously. You've done the right thing. It's the other idiots out there. Why aren't those people capable of doing the right thing? Why is the idiot preacher in South Florida during a pandemic bussing people into his church? Do you know why there are so many dead people in Albany, Georgia? Because there was a preacher who was infected who preached a funeral and has spread through the funeral crowd and then into the community. Do you know why there are so many people in Bartow County infected? Because there was a church service where there were three people who were infected. Each of those three people infected three other people and the virus spread. That's why your church should be closed right now. Not because the government's telling your church to close, but because it's the right thing to do. Get an online streaming service. For God's sakes, you can stream with an iPhone. Get your iPhone in there, preacher. Buy an iPhone. Don't use an Android device. Get an iPhone and stream your church service on Sunday. Who cares what the audio quality is? Be with your congregation. But by God, a church is a body. It is not a building. The gates of hell will not prevail against the body of Christ, but the virus is going to call the herd of a bunch of idiots going to church on Sunday, spreading the virus. Stay home, people. You should not need Brian Kemp to tell you to shelter in place. You county commissioners out there and mayors are like, oh, Brian Kemp's got to tell me what to do. You're a freaking leader. You got elected by the people in your community. You decide what's best for your community. Stop being an idiot and waiting for somebody else to tell you what to do. Lead or get out of the way. A listener texted me and said, take a breath. I'm breathing. I, I, I'm i just, I'm finally just aggravated with people. People are stupid. I realize that. Uh, and, and one of the things that aggravates me, frankly, is there was, a, there was an essay yesterday in The Atlantic that conservatism needs to be about uh, conserving the common good. Uh, I do, you know, the reason I'm a conservative is because I'm a Christian and I realize that everyone is a sinner and I want as few in charge of me as possible. I don't want a group of sinners getting together and deciding what the common good is. Now, I try to elect uh, people who are Christians who share my values. I'm not going to go out and vote for someone who rejects my values. Uh, But, you know, it's the Republicans who have been funding Planned Parenthood for the last decade, not the Democrats. Uh, Is that the common good? Because they're the party that all these people who want the the conservatism to be about the common good, they're, they're the ones that, that have been voting to fund Planned Parenthood. So I guess abortion is the common good. How do we decide what the common good is? Majority rule? No. Our structure of government is designed to protect us from the majority. Uh, we have minority rights in this country. You know, in Great Britain, uh, what, what parliament says goes, the majority wins, the majority rules. You don't like it, you got an election, and you can you can undo it. In this country, we got majority rights, and we got minority rights, and we got to balance it out. And there's federalism, and, and the states have plenary power except for those things they ceded under Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution to Washington, D.C., 
And I'm I'm just tired of the stupid people out there right now on both sides of the aisle. Uh, the stupid people who say this is no big deal and the stupid people who tell us that, that this is all Donald Trump's fault. Um, when how is it Donald Trump's fault that the mayor of New York City was telling people to go out and live? And by the way, none of these people want to hold China accountable. And that's the other infuriating thing to me is the Chinese have been lying. Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci yesterday noted that the reason the United States didn't take certain actions in January and February is because China was lying about the extent of the virus. And now you got that idiot Susan Rice out there uh, attacking Mike Pompeo for pushing back against the Chinese propaganda. It's designed to be divisive. It's designed to stigmatize people of Asian descent. And it's certainly not the way the leadership of the United States, the Secretary of State, the President of the United States ought to be behaving in the best of times, but certainly not in a crisis. Oh, good grief. Uh, that, that woman is insufferable. Benghazi, anybody? Um, it just a- absolutely ridiculous. But it, it, the, the, my biggest frustration right now, though, are the people who can't take care of themselves unless the government tells them to do it. When you need it, you have ceased being a moral people when you need the government to tell you what is the right thing to do. And we got a lot of people in this country right now who won't do anything unless the government tells them to do it. And even then, they don't want to do it. You got to have the police round them up. You, you, you got coming Georgia hiring a bunch of extra police officers up in Forsyth County to, to make people stay home. What in God's name is wrong with people that they can't read the headlines and see what's happening and decide it for themselves? This is what a post-truth pagan society looks like. You, you can understand the fall of Rome when you see the idiots out there saying there is no pandemic until they fall over dead with disease. Uh, good God. When we come back, let's let's have a happy note. Uh, some scientists have invented a robot that can help us sterilize hospitals dealing with this virus, and that is a good thing. It is Eric Erickson here. I want to tell you guys, you know, I, I've had a, a long-time relationship with First Liberty Building alone out of Noonan. Uh, and, uh, they, they haven't sponsored the program in a while, but I keep getting people asking about, um, the disaster loans and the SBA loan program. And I, I, they're good people. And whether they sponsor the show or not, I I want you to know that, uh, first Liberty building and loan can, can help you guys with these situations. Um, if you need, uh, for your small business, if you need one of these disaster loans, if you need an SBA loan, uh, please do consider reaching out to First Liberty of Georgia. Make sure, tell them I sent you, by the way, the, the Frost family, they're good people. Tell them I sent you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com, uh, and I will put their information uh, at the at the top of the, um, at the top of this, when I get into the next commercial break, I will, at the top of those useful links I'm sending out. Um and, and this hour is actually sponsored by Dynamic Money. Thank you to Dynamic Money for the, your continued support of the program. Uh, if you need individual help uh, planning through disaster, trying to figure out how you can refi your house right now and and get money out, they don't actually do the refis with Dynamic Money, but they can send you the right people. They can uh, help you navigate how to pay off debt. They can look at all your finances and restructure it. They're uh, fee only, so they're not going to charge you commissions. They're not going to try to sell you stuff. Uh, go to dynamicmoney.com if you need individual help. But if, if you're a small business, uh, you got a line of credit, you, you, you got payroll, all that stuff. Consider my friends at First Liberty, the Frost family. They're, they're good people. They make their own lending decisions. Uh, you can go to firstlibertyga.com, uh, check them out. Uh, they're worth it, and they can help you answer. They can navigate you through this process. If you're a small business, 
needs loans right now, um, please do consider them. Uh, good, trustworthy people. Uh, FirstLibertyGA.com. Uh, I want to go back to the phones. I'm, I'm waiting for the, the CEO of, of, um, of oh, uh, what, what is their, Xenex. Uh, um, yes, Xenex. Uh, to call in, they've invented a, a UV germ zapping robot and it kills bacteria, it kills viruses, it kills spores. We've actually, so I use a company called uh, Peachtree Service Experts and they are our air conditioning company and they came into our house because my, my son has terrible allergies, as do I. And they put these things into our air conditioning system upstairs and downstairs and their UV uh, lights with some electrostatic, um, metals in. And so as the dust and germs come through, uh, the dust gets trapped and the, um, the dust gets trapped and the, the UV rays kill the bacteria and the viruses and the spores. And it has completely cleaned the air in our house. We were having, because the, the air intake upstairs is right next to the kid's bathroom. We were having some mold issues and these UV things that they put in the air conditioner completely got rid of the problem. It, it has been remarkable uh, to, and I was, I got to admit, I was a little skeptical. They sold us on it with allergies and, and decided to go with it. And, and I'm not skeptical anymore because we literally were having a, a mildew mold problem by that upstairs bathroom because the air intake is right by that bathroom. So it's pulling the steam straight out into the air conditioning unit. This thing completely has taken care of the problem. Um, and they're these, these UV light things. You, you call your air conditioning company. I'm sure uh, they can help you. They, they'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, or call Peachtree Service Experts. Tell them I sent you because um, they put them in, in our house. They were great. Uh, let me go to the phones. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Kenneth in, is, you know, it says here, this is the mayor of Gordon calling in. Do I have this right? That is correct. Yes, sir. Excellent. Well, thank you for calling in, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. I may say at first that I remember listening to you all on the radio show some years ago, and I was glad to see you come back on there. I, I, I respect and enjoy your perspectives on, on the things going on within our community. Thank you. But I, I did want to have a comment say about the city of God. Because of the coronavirus, of course, we are closed to the public. But we're still the staff is still inside doing all the work that we normally do. Uh, we've recently uh, installed a pay online accounts for the city of Gordon, which is progressive for us. But we do have it for the convenience of everybody and Dropbox, et cetera. So we encourage people, if they will, be be safe and 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 respect what we're doing to try to keep everybody safe and continue making your payments. <laughs> you know, so Mayor, let me ask you about this. As a as in Gordon, I mean, so my wife, just so you know, she she and her she has a a band of brothers on on motorcycles, and they have have been up to Gordon more than once to eat at a restaurant up there, and right, right. they're not able to get out and 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 come up to Gordon or anywhere else right now. And I'm imagining oh, just the economic consequence for a place like Gordon is is pretty significant. Yeah, I think it's probably like all businesses, uh, small or large, you can survive short-term. My, our, our issue is we don't know, we don't know where the end is. We don't, we keep talking about the top of the curve, but we don't know where the top is. Uh, we pray, of course, that the experts, the national experts and state experts are, are following the course of actions that they should, and we believe they are. But we we pray our Father that, that 
if we go much longer than 30 or 40 days, uh, the economic impact is going to be very, very severe. Well, one one more thing for you, Mayor. First of all, my, um, it is at the front porch, I believe, is the restaurant up in Gordon. That my, that my, is correct, and it, it is one of the better. It, and I've I've been around a long time. I think it's the, one of the best, one of the better, at least short orders in Middle Georgia. Well, yeah, my my wife is is listening and texting me about it and and, and raving about it and, and hating they can't get up there. Um, when I was a lawyer years ago, I was involved in condemnation cases for the DOT when they were building the fall line freeway around Gordon um, and and bringing all that highway traffic in. And right. one of the things I, I'm interested in is how the, the, the between the Kalen pits and, and the log trucks and everything else running through that part of the state, is that being significantly impacted in addition to everybody having to stay home? Well, I would say yes. It's been, we could notice an impact on the, the People are being a little safer. They finally, we we are finally getting the message. This is a dangerous situation, and it didn't. And we are, our circles are becoming a lot smaller. And for your wife's sake, Greg Banner runs the front porch. He was the brother, if you remember, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and oh, he is yeah, just yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, I I I, for, I totally forgot that connection. He, he connected to, to to Newt Gingrich. Yes. That, that fantastic. Well, well the, listen. No, well, no, but his brother was the speaker of the house. Oh no, I'm sorry. Yeah, Boehner, Boehner, Boehner not not Gingrich. Uh, yeah, John. That's John right. Boehner's Boehner. brother. It, exactly. it is. Well, what a small world. His name well, is Greg, well, and he's there every day, and he he's what one of the best. That well, you know, I I had no idea about that connection. I I, I knew he was in Middle Georgia. I did not realize it was there. Well, as, as soon as yeah, the motorcycles yeah, can there. ride again, they're going to go up there. I hope that won't be long. I hope it's. Uh, but I enjoy your show. I like you enjoy your perspectives on Middle Georgia, and and I, and I hope you continue that that I think important message to us. Well, Mayor Turner, thank you very much. That that that's Mayor Kenneth Turner from Gordon, Georgia, um, and and that restaurant is the front porch in in Gordon, and everybody's on hard times there. But and you know the the so the industry there. In Gordon, there are a lot of kaolin mines. Uh, there are actually a lot of lakes there that were kaolin pits that have been converted. Uh, you got some good fishing up there, as a matter of fact, because of it. Um, so you got that, and uh, you, you got the railroad traffic, and now you got the Fall Line Freeway that runs on the outskirts of town and that divert a lot of traffic from downtown Gordon. And it, that traffic for the loggers and, and the kaolin mines and stuff still continues, but it, it has impacted uh, everybody's ability to get around, move, and navigate in, in small-town Georgia, which is really hidden. And again, this is one reason why the governor has not taken a, a shelter-in-place uh, statewide, because what's good for metro and suburban areas of the state is not necessarily good for, or necessary even, in rural parts of the state. I, I, I just got a note, by the way, uh, that the, the CEO of... Um, of Xenex and the Light Strike Robots uh, is going to be joining me at the bottom of the next hour. You're going to want to hear about this because I, I'm I'm fascinated by the technology. It's actually the Secretary of Energy called me uh, the other day. I was out uh, I was out at Jimmy John's getting lunch on Sunday, and an unknown number called, and usually that's the White House or somebody calling one of there and picked it up as Secretary of Energy calling to brag about this company in Texas and. Uh, one of, one of, wanted me to get the CEO on and talk and said it'd be some positive news. And I definitely want to do that. Uh, now I want to go to Michael calling in Kennesaw. Michael, welcome. Hi. 
Um, I'll just get right to the point. Um, I was wondering, you know, for the past 50 or so years, we've always heard politicians and others talk about how the deficit's going to be a doomsday scenario. And even Rush has talked about it as well. But then nothing ever seems to happen. I mean, is there really any issue? I mean, we're basically um, the Fed is printing money um, and it doesn't seem to have any effect long term, um, especially now with, with uh, inflation almost to zero. I mean, are we ever going to have a doomsday scenario or is it just basically a scare tactic? And if I may just add uh, one other thing, do you think that the, this virus isn't going to long term change the culture as far as more telecommuting and less, you know, going into the office. Um, I mean, I think it might be a positive thing, less emissions, because there'd be less cars on the road, there'd be less traffic, congestion, and may even save on, you know, repairing the roads. So what do you think might be the long-term effects culturally? And do you think uh, Trump uh, will be reelected in November. Thank you for your oh, time. A lot of questions. Okay, Michael, let, let me break these down first. Trump in November. I, I don't know. My sense is that yes, uh, I actually think the reason the media is, is screaming so loudly about him and, and what he did wrong is because they know this uh, helps him. It makes him look leaderly. And I think that benefits him in November. Uh, and Joe Biden looks more and more buffoonish in, in so many of his interviews uh, on the culture. I listen, I, I think there's a common consensus now uh, that people realize the meetings that they've all been going to offices for could have been emails. And there are a whole lot of unnecessary meetings that are now fallen by the wayside. And telecommuting has made people a little more efficient and, and made a lot of employers who were skeptical of it realize that, yes, they can uh, in many cases do it. But not everybody can telecommute. The janitors can't telecommute. Uh, the workers in the grocery stores can't telecommute. Uh, the manual laborers can't telecommute. And uh, if anything, it will prioritize. I will tell you this. When you look at traffic in the metro Atlanta area, it turns out that it's not the essential employees who are screwing up traffic. It's all the non-essential employees because traffic in the Atlanta area has been golden for the most part uh, since everybody stayed home. All the essential workers are still going to work. The non-essential people are sheltering in place. And it turns out it's the non-essential people have been screwing everything up, not paying attention. So keeping those people home isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, now, in, in terms of the debt, yes. The debt is still a problem, and it's a problem for this reason. Uh, eventually, interest, we have to continue to make interest payments on the debt. Uh, the full faith and credit of the United States is an obligation of the United States. And if we cannot meet those interest payments, it causes economic fallout elsewhere. It makes it harder for us to borrow money as a nation. And that therefore drives up your, ultimately will drive up your consumer interest rates and ultimately will cause inflation long-term if we're not able to continue making payments on our debt. And at some point, the amount of money we're paying on interest on the debt will exceed the amount of money we're paying in, in for defense. It'll exceed the amount of money we're paying for education. It'll exceed the amount of money we're paying on Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and the like. And that day is rapidly approaching, more so after this. Um, as debt encroaches on your gross domestic product, you have a, a very hard time maintaining economic stability and it drives you into recession because your taxes have to go up to meet your debt obligations. And as taxes go up, capital flees elsewhere, which then creates an, an economic cycle where more and more capital flees as taxes have to rise further to compensate for the revenue fleeing elsewhere. And it becomes a, an, an economic destabilizing feedback loop. And that day is rapidly approaching. Now, on the upside, 
Every other country is in the exact same situation we are right now. So while we're incurring this massive debt, uh, so is every other country on the planet right now. And that will offset itself. And it wouldn't surprise me if within the next 10 years, we have some sort of global debt forgiveness program between nations. Uh, But we're not there yet. Right now, though, there is going to be some economic instability because of the debt we're incurring. And it's going to be our grandchildren and great-grandchildren having to deal with it. It is 53 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. At the bottom of the next hour, uh, the man who has created killer robots. Uh, going to interview him. They're actually good killer robots. They they go into, into areas that need to be sanitized. The military has actually bought a bunch of these robots. Uh, that they, they use a special light beam uh, that sends out UV rays without mercury. Uh, you know, those, those mercury lights, it takes a while to, to, to fire them up, and, and these can pulse. And so you can zap the, the UV rays and kill all the viruses and stuff. Um, so going to talk to the man who, who builds the killer robots at the bottom of the next hour. It's an uplifting story. I mean, the Secretary of Energy was, was very excited about this when he called me and, and told me I should, I should talk to him. So I'm going to. Now, I want to tell you there is, a, there is a Kelly Leffler story out there in the Wall Street Journal. You need to know that uh, a lot of the early reporting, it turns out it was bad reporting. Uh, Leffler has disclosed all of her buys and sells. Unlike what uh, was initially reported, it turns out that she and her husband lost money. They did not gain money. And it does, in fact, turn out that uh, overwhelmingly uh, her money um, was, well, I shouldn't say overwhelmingly, with the exception of one unrelated sale, all of her money was, in fact, uh, decided on and, and, and bought and sold by an independent uh, consulting firm that she had no connection to and did not consult with. Uh, no, they're there. So if for perspective here, the uh, Department of Justice and the FBI are now investigating Richard Burr of North Carolina because he directly made his buys and sells and she did not. And when you we, when you pull out the bulk of the story and the information, it it actually does turn out that she um, she bought and sold. And by the way, um, one of the things she's accused of is buying into a company that was trying to make a vaccine for uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, USA Today was reporting about the company. Uh, in January, when her outside advisors bought the stock, uh, USA Today reported it January 27th, and the stock purchase in that company was not made until after the USA Today report, well after, by the way, her private meetings, well, well after her meetings uh, behind closed doors, the stock purchase was made. The stock purchase was not made until it was actually public in newspapers across the country uh, that this particular company doing research into COVID-19 w- was out there. So d- turns out it doesn't look nefarious at all on her behalf. Uh, Leffler, it turns out, uh, didn't do anything wrong. And we got the wall street journal out there now, uh, has examined this. They've taken all of her stock disclosures and they've talked to the outside investment firm and it looks like there's no there there. So it looks like she'll be able to weather the storm. Now, when we come back, can I talk about tiger King? I've, I've been reading and I've been watching and I'm intrigued 
And I have the sneaking suspicion that on the day of judgment, God is going to be more interested in me watching Tiger King and holding me accountable for that than for watching Game of Thrones. Um, Y'all, this is, I've never seen a TV show where there are just no good people. And the first episode starts and kind of sets the stage. And there are a couple of people who, who seem to be sympathetic. And as time goes on, you're not really sympathetic to any of these people. And I'm only, I'm, I'm not even fully in, I'm not even halfway into this. And already all I can do is root for injuries. And, and, and there's been one victim and that is this one lady, um, Carol's husband, who disappeared in, in 1997. No one knows what's happened to him. And it, it, I think I mentioned this yesterday, by the way. There is an interesting angle here. Uh, so Carol Baskin, who runs this shelter for endangered animals down in Hillsborough County, Florida, the sheriff who is trying to find information on her missing husband is the same sheriff who arrested the pastor down there. And I want to talk about that pastor and some of these pastors out there uh, when we come back. I, I'm and I don't I'm in, I don't intend to offend some of my fellow Christians, but I may just do that when we come back. Also, I want to remind you, Easter is coming, and if you got Good Friday music you want to recommend, I'm going to have to to get my Good Friday show recorded because when it when we get to Good Friday, we we aren't really talking about the virus. We're going to be delving deep. Uh, we'll be theological on Good Friday. The, some of the local radio stations that carry the show, they're going to hate it. Uh, but most of you will love it. Uh, and I'm always looking to incorporate good music from Georgia groups. So shoot me an email, eric at theresurgent.com. It's E-R-I-C-K. We will take your phone calls as well when we come back. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. But I want to talk about the killer robots and the killer Christians and the Tiger King and who killed Carol Baskin's husband. We got a lot to talk about. And remember, this hour is brought to you by dynamicmoney.com. If you need questions, help refi your house, get money out, pay off debts, plan for retirement, all of that, uh, you want to go to talk to Chris Burns at Dynamic Money. Uh, He actually is my guy, and he's a friend, and they can do this for you. We'll be back with Killer Robots and Killer Tigers. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, all over the place these days. The phone number, if you want to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The bottom of the hour, I am going to talk to Morris Miller. He is the CEO of a company called Xenex, and they are making killer robots, which is awesome, except they don't kill people, they kill viruses. And the, the Army has now bought a bunch of their robots to go into uh, facilities they need sterilized and these robots run around with these specialized UV lights on top and they kill all the viruses and bacteria uh, in ways that people can't necessarily do. So the Secretary of Energy I mentioned in the last hour called me on Sunday, was very excited about this company and and said he's been listening to the show and wanted to to offer some good news and some encouragement and American innovation and, and because he's from Texas and he loves all things Texas, he wanted to highlight this company. And Italy has now bought a bunch of their robots. The UK has, and they're boosting production in the United States for American hospitals. Um, the Mayo Clinic and a bunch of others have started buying their killer robots to go in and sanitize places. And it is American innovation at its finest. And we're going to talk to them. And right now, I'm not going to talk about the virus. If you want to see, in fact, I'm not even going to go through the audit now because basically every county in Georgia except for seven now has the virus. It continues to spread. And if you want to see the list, 
text the word data to 33777 and you'll get back a link and it has the, the list for the nation, the list for the world and the list for Georgia. It has all the projections. You can see the IHME projections that uh, Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci and the president are relying on. But at the top, I put in a special link. I want to know you, I want you to know about it. And this is not an advertisement. I just know the people. I trust them. They have sponsored the show in the past. Um, maybe they'll come back. Uh, but I do just want to, I, I do want to say something nice about First Liberty of Georgia. Uh, the Frost family, I've known them for a long time. They are good, honest people. They run this building and loan. It is out of Noonan, Georgia. It does not matter where you are listening to me right now in the United States of America. If you have a small business and you need help getting a loan uh, for your business, uh, for payroll under the stimulus plan, uh, First Liberty of Georgia can help you. Go to firstlibertyga.com. Uh, tell them I sent you, by the way. Uh, but you, you, if you need help, if you're a small business, you got to make payroll and you're having a hard time, firstlibertyga.com is who you want to go to. Uh, they are good people. Uh, just tell them I sent you. And, um, and again, it's, this is not an advertisement. Uh, they have sponsored the show in the past. They're not right now. Um, but I like them. Uh, they're good people and they can help. Uh, and to kick off this hour, let me go on to the phones here and, and take this call from Alan. Alan, welcome to the program. Yes. Thank you for having me on. Sure. Um, I was calling because I've got a suggestion and that would be that because Easter is coming up and we can't congregate together to do online worship and have different churches call in with their online information as to, you know, how to get to their website. Um, uh, You know, I will tell you this, um, what, what I probably should do is for people who, who go add their email name to the Substack newsletter I'm doing, uh, if churches want to email me actually, uh, and send me a link, because, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to stay online and say Facebook.com slash whatever or, or give their church name. But but uh, any churches that want to email me, eric at theresurgent.com, uh, I'm happy to compile these things into one of my Substack newsletters. And I can I can email out anybody who texts data to 33777. You'll be able to subscribe to the newsletter and I can send you out. Now, now what I do want to tell you, though, and this is important and I can I can feel it in the force. I can feel my preacher listening right now muttering to his radio show or radio uh in his car right now muttering this and he's right you should have a relationship with your own church and you should be connecting with your own church on live stream don't abandon your local church in fact they still need your tithing right now they need your money i was talking to a preacher this morning uh who is having to get his mortgage uh, put into forbearance because his church cannot afford to pay him right now uh, because people aren't coming to church and they've stopped tithing. And he is not alone. I'm hearing this from all over the country. So do not neglect your local church community right now. And next Friday, I guess it's Good Friday is next Friday. And every for every Good Friday since I have been on radio, I have done a special show for Good Friday. I got to figure out how to make it work on my evening show this year. We got a new boss, and he is not aware of the Good Friday show. I got to make him aware of it. But I intend to do it on this show as well, uh, double duty. So that being said, uh, I want to talk about Tiger King now. It is, 
You watch, so for those of you who don't know, Tiger King is a Netflix documentary series. It is seven episodes. They're all about 45 minutes long. It is not child appropriate. Let me just tell you that. Um, It makes Honey Boo Boo look urbane and cosmopolitan. It is, it it is, it is, um, buddy of mine is texting me about this right now and says he feels like he wasted his life watching it. I'm only an episode and a half in and I can tell I'm wasting my life and I'm along for the ride, y'all. I'm going to watch this train wreck and I will repent after it is over. You will have to repent after it is over. Um, It is something. So what this is about is it, it is purportedly, and I didn't know this was a thing. Let me, let me, let me back up. Let me pause the Tiger King discussion here and set the stage for you from personal experience. <laughs> Years ago now, um, when was this? This would have been 2012, 2013. I live in North Bibb County. Uh, that is Macon, Georgia. Uh, I live north of Bass Road. In fact, I am about 100 feet from Monroe County. If they would ever move the line, my taxes would go down about $1,000 a month. There, there's a dispute between the county line between Monroe and Bibb County in middle Georgia. It was based on a ferry that used to cross the Okmulgee River during the Civil War, and it is gone now, and they don't really know where the county line is, except uh, people haven't been paying taxes to Monroe and to Bibb. They've been paying uh, to one county or the other, and I've always thought it's a no-brainer of all the people who've been paying taxes in Bibb County. Uh, you, you map the line north of them. And say, okay, here's the county line because all you people have for 100 years been paying taxes. It's a no-brainer to me, but nonetheless, I digress. So that's where I live. And back in 2012, 2013, I had to be on CNN one morning. And it was Soledad O'Brien, of all people, who hates my guts, by the way. She genuinely hates my guts. And I go outside before airtime, and we had this dog. It was a rescue dog named Dessa. She was part lab, part whippet. She was super fast and then slept. And took her outside, and she was going nuts, absolutely insane nuts, like I had never seen her do before. And so I headed outside to see what had her upset, and I went up. We, we lived. There's a slope behind our house. It goes up to a natural gas easement, and, and then uh, the woods behind the house, and the, the neighbor was gone uh, for the summer and has a vacant lot, and the grass was very tall. I had not been cut in several months, and there's this black cat, and and Dessa's going nuts over this black cat, and it's a rather sizable black cat, hunched down, and um, <laughs> I go up the hill to get Dessa, and that cat stands up, and it is a panther. It is a a cat, a a big giant black cat, and its tail. And this is when I knew um, this was this was problematic. Its tail goes up, and the tail has a mind of its own. And at the moment the cat stands up and is staring at us, and its tail is whipping around with a mind of its own, uh, the dog and I both run back to the house as fast as we possibly can. It is a race between the dog and me to get inside the quickest. And I run upstairs, and and listen, I'm in a suit and have makeup on because i got to be on TV, of all things. And I run upstairs to tell my wife, who is still asleep, that there is a panther in the the yard. And she tells me 
that she knows. And I said, well, how do you know? And she said, well, I saw it last night walking down the street, but I'd had Ambien and thought I was seeing things. <laughs> sure did. And do you know, as a matter of fact, I was at, at a restaurant the other night and saw a friend of mine who lives down the road from me and says uh, that Panther has come back and he has seen it. Uh, and now multiple neighbors uh, in, in the neighborhood down the street from me have this Panther on their uh, in the cameras they have set up in their yards. Uh, they've all seen this Black Panther. And, and for years, people thought I was insane. There are no Black Panthers in Georgia. In fact, I called the Department of Natural Resources and told them there is a Panther in the side yard. And they, they said, that's impossible. What did it look like? And I told them, and the guy says, oh, well, we don't have Panthers in Georgia. Well, we do, because I've seen him. Uh, and, and now all the neighbors down the street have seen this Panther as well. And this is years later, they're seeing the Black Panther as well, which uh, the guy from the DNR ultimately told me they do do these massive uh, walks, like 50-mile radius, and they eventually will come back, and then they'll go away again. But he said the odds are, and this is the point, this is the background story, he said the odds are it's someone had it in private captivity and it's escaped. And you're not supposed to have them in private captivity. And so if it escapes, they're not going to call the law and say, hey, my panther escaped. I had no idea that this is a thing. There are people around this country who keep uh, big cats, tigers and panthers and lions and cheetahs. And and so this show on Netflix, uh, Tiger King, is about this uh, mulleted gay weird dude in Oklahoma who owns like 200 tigers. And he has this ongoing feud with a woman in Florida named Carol Baskin, who is a rescuer of these wild animals and, and puts them in, in, um, in big open air range places so that they can live out their lives, if not be given to zoos. She runs a nonprofit. His is for profit. There's also this other guy in South Carolina they feature who, who's been on TV a lot and who is weird. And now all these people are um, all these people are rushing out because the Netflix series makes them all look bad. I mean, everybody in this Netflix series looks bad. There are no winners here. They're all terrible. And uh, all the people are now rushing out saying, hey, it's not me. Netflix selectively edited it. Well, no, Netflix did not selectively edit the interview with the woman saying that you were having inappropriate relationships with a minor. No, Netflix did not edit that out. <laughs> it just this whole thing. This is it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion over seven episodes. I mean, it, it genuinely makes the Honey Boo Boo series look cosmopolitan and educated. It is the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. And these people willingly did it. This is like reality TV inbred with a documentary series. It is the most incredible thing. And I cannot believe I'm watching it. And I feel guilty for watching it. And every episode gets worse. But 90% of Netflix viewers have watched Tiger King. It is a global sensation. People are watching this train wreck. I got to tell you, I watched the first episode and a half. And again, it is the, the, the this trashy redneck dude who's now in jail, uh, who calls himself Joe Exotic, who was uh, gay and had a mullet and a bad dye job and had all these tigers and, and was married to a guy who had two teeth. And all I can think is Donald Trump's going to pardon this guy and put him on the Federal Reserve. <laughs> 
mean, he carries a, he, he's always got a gun and bullets on him. He always wears a Smith and Wesson cap to cover the bad die job of the mullet. It is, it is the most bizarre thing. It is only a matter of time before the president pardons this guy and has him as the opening act on the campaign trail. It is amazing. Um, I, I'm just y'all. I'm not going to recommend anybody watch it because if I recommend you watch it, you're going to be horrified by it. And then you're going to get mad at me for recommending it. But it is, it is just crazy. And my producer, Charlie, who is listening to me right now, refuses to watch it. And you know why he refuses to watch it? He refuses like my wife refuses because everybody else is watching it and they're not going to get on the train because everyone else is. Now, the reality is my producer is too cheap for the Netflix subscription um, and, and his excuse is that everyone else is watching it, but he's just not going to pay seven bucks a month to watch Netflix. But I'm y'all, I'm just I'm perplexed by the whole thing. It is it is the most bizarre thing. And it has captured the attention of 90% of people who watch Netflix. And I can understand why. I mean, you, you go on TV, you know, you go on YouTube and you watch the videos of car wrecks or like there's this, this cult following on Netflix of people or not on Netflix, on YouTube of Russians who have cameras in their car and you can see the insane antics on the highways of Russia, including like MIGs doing low pass flyovers the road to scare traffic and stuff. And you can you can go down the rabbit hole, and, and, and Charlie does say he has Netflix. I'm just teasing him. Um, you can you can go on YouTube and watch these crazy car wrecks and stuff in Russia, and you can sit there for hours and just be amazed at how bad the drivers are. And that is very much like this Tiger King thing. You just you you you're not rooting for anyone. You're rooting for injuries, and you're just perplexed that these are real people. And so much of this is pre-recorded stuff. That it's not like Netflix designed these people and scripted this out. This is all previously existing footage because, spoiler alert, the dude's in jail now for plotting a murder, uh, which is why this whole documentary series, but the whole thing is just, my goodness gracious, but everyone in America is home right now. We can't leave the house. I can't do live stream today because so many people are on the internet. It's too unstable. And it's because everyone's home watching Zoe Exo Joe Exotic, the Tiger King documentary on Netflix. Wow. Uh, Liam Downing is 30 years old and he has cancer. He's been battling leukemia for two years. He is a DJ in the United Kingdom and, and a highly popular DJ at that. Uh, and on March 19th, doctors told his family they could not cure his cancer. Uh, but they could keep him alive for several years. Um, they, they would be able to, with medication, keep the leukemia from spreading uh, for some time and at least keep him alive for the next several years. Well, uh, he has been uh, diagnosed last week with COVID-19. And at 30 years old, even though he had several years of life ahead of him, told doctors to stop treating him. Uh, he did not want to consume resources when he only had a few years left anyway. Uh, and as a result, uh, has died on Friday. And we're hearing more and more stories like this. This is probably the youngest person to refuse treatment for COVID-19 and, and not want to consume resources. There was a, I read the other day, an 89-year-old in Great Britain did the same and a 90-year-old in the Netherlands uh, said she had lived a great life and uh, it was time to, to go on. She didn't want to take up resources when there was a young person who could um, who could be spared. And man, we're we're hearing these stories and they're coming. And I, I gotta, 
I'm just really intrigued by the human stories that are coming out on this virus. And I, I, I want to spend a moment on the church situation because I, I, I don't think the government should be shutting down churches. But you know the way the law works, it's not against the law for governments to tell churches they can't meet. The rule is, is constitutionally is if there's a law that applies to everyone, then it can apply to churches as well. You can exempt churches from a law, and you cannot pass a law that targets churches, but you can pass a law that applies to everyone equally. And the law is, in many cases, when areas are told to shut down and shelter in place, that applies to churches as well. There are ways to meet with your church, but by and large, you do need to understand that a church is the body of Christ. It is not a physical building. And there are some pastors out there making idols of their church buildings and insisting to have church, you must be inside that building. And that is wrong. And there are people getting the virus at church and spreading it to other members of the community because they got it at church and they're all in there together. They're not distancing inside the church and they're spreading it. It is a terrible, terrible precedent uh, for churches to be doing this. And frankly, uh, what your church needs to do on Sunday instead of meeting uh, in the building is do a live stream and then everyone go out to the local hospitals and volunteer or call your neighbors after church, commit to this, call your neighbor and ask your neighbor if they need anything from the grocery store. Call an elderly person in the congregation and ask them what they need. Are they doing okay? Uh, don't make the deacons do it. Don't make the elders do it. Uh, every member of the congregation adopt another family and make sure their needs are met, people inside and outside the church. You know, when you go back to the very early days of the church, the thing that set the Christians apart was they were headed towards the plague, not away from the plague. They were going into the communities and they were making sure everyone in the community, Christian and unchristian, saved and pagan alike, were taken care of. And it set the church apart. And there were so many churches right now that are not distinguishing themselves but are instead embarrassing themselves at this time, uh, giving the rest of us a bad name by their antics, uh, they should be ashamed of themselves. Now, when we come back, let's talk about killer robots because it's awesome and there's an American company making them. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I've been telling you guys, I, I've been excited about uh, talking to Morris Miller all week. Uh, joining me by phone, uh, the CEO of, uh, is, is it pronounced Xenix, Morris? Xenix. Uh, Xenix. Xenix. Not pronounced Excellent. how it's spelled. Well, listen, I, so I, I was telling people earlier before he came on, I, I'm I'm in Jimmy John's on Sunday and uh, the Secretary of Energy calls, and the thing that, that annoys me the most about him is, one, because he's right when he does it, but everything about Texas is greater than everywhere else on planet Earth, and he makes sure that I know that I should live in Texas. And he says, <laughs> i got to tell you about this company, and starts telling me about what you guys are doing, and I'm like, well, I, I, I need to to have Morris Miller on my show. So, so he connects me, and... I am very intrigued with with what you guys are doing, and I, I pulled up some of the clips from from CNBC of of you on recently, and 
I'm just thinking, man, this this seems like a no-brainer. I've got one of those UV filters that just got installed in my house in the air conditioning system that kills viruses and bugs. And now you guys have a robot that that does all sorts of awesome stuff for hospitals and wanted to have you on to let you tell people about it. Thank you. I, pre- I appreciate that. We're happy to uh, get the word out. And there, there's no question that the uh, Secretary of Energy has a lot of energy and uh, uh, he like he also likes to get the word out on things that work. Very much so. And I mean, the, the reviews I'm getting now is, let's see, I, I saw an inter, uh, link the other day that uh, Italy is is investing in uh, the, the as one of the, I think it's Crunchbase, as a UV germ zapping robot that you guys have, uh, as they're calling it. But uh, lots of Asia and in Italy and Europe and the U.S. military. Uh, what exactly does this robot do? So when, when you think about hospitals, about half of the surfaces in a hospital room, you walk into a hospital room and it looks clean, but about half of the surfaces are generally missed. And that has a lot to do with the turnover time pressures that the housekeepers experience. These are some of the hardest working Americans that you'll ever meet. They're putting themselves in harm's way every day. And as a result of that, about 6,000 Americans a day before COVID got infections when they went to the hospital and 300 died. Um, what this is, uh, this is the first time that a xenon lamp was used to create UV light, and it basically flashes an intense uh, amount of light across the entire UV spectrum, and it disables, deactivates the pathogens, and it's very fast. So kind of the old mercury bulbs, they would, you know, they might run for 52 minutes in studies that they did, and they weren't effective. This works in five minutes. Everybody understands intensity of light because they've been outside on a summer day and gotten a sunburn. That's just ultraviolet light from the sun damaging the DNA of their skins. That's what we're doing in dozens of rooms a day because, you know, two five-minute positions, one on each side of the bed, that enables the hospitals to create a safe environment for the next, uh, for the next patient. I, I I just I'm, – I'm fascinated by the technology because I, I, I do have to say I was – generally skeptical of the first of all i'm not a scientist um but but skeptical that light rays uv in particular could do that much and i I was telling my audience earlier that we we and it's it's not quite the same thing i don't want but just as a general comparison uh, we put these filters into our air conditioner our our air conditioning company recommended it with uv light to zap viruses and, and mold and stuff and it actually is a noticeable difference in our house. And I was actually thinking, why why don't hospitals use this stuff? And now Rick Perry calls, and and sure enough, uh, there's something way more cooler than what I've got in my air conditioning, and that that works really well. And and I'm assuming that you guys know it it will zap the COVID nineteen as well. Yeah, I, I think the uh, nobody actually has access to the the pathogen here is called SARS CoV two. So nobody has access to that. However, uh, if you go back a few years, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome was an incredibly similar coronavirus. Uh, norovirus is a frequent one, and then just standard flu, influenza. And we have hospitals that have published that they've used the light strike robots to kill those pathogens with ease. Um, in, in hospitals, the, the hardest thing to kill are spores. Clostridium difficile, C. diff is something that your listeners may have heard of. And we routinely go into hospitals. We kill C. diff in five minutes. Uh, everything below that, kind of, if you think about C. diff being the, t- the toughest, everything below that is a waterfall, and we get everything below that. And, and there are, when you think about hospitals, 
the leading hospitals in the country, Mayo Clinic, they have these robots in every single one of their hospitals, every one, MD Anderson in Houston, Stanford, uh, Honor Health in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. 92% of their discharge rooms are treated with a light strike robot. Their infection rates have fallen more than 80%. So Holy cow. we, yeah, so we clearly, it, it's, it's, you know, we often will say to ourselves, well, if it was less effective, people wouldn't be, I think your word is perfect, they wouldn't be skeptical. And yet, if they can just take a step back and think about that experience on a hot summer day with the sun blazing, this, this technology, it, it puts out a light bulb, a light stream. If you think about your standard fluorescent bulb, it is 4,000 times more intense than that. So it's, it's a millisecond pulse, incredibly intense. It disables the, the, the pathogens. After the Ebola crisis, um, we went to a biosafety level four lab. We showed that we could kill Ebola, which everybody was very frightened of, in one minute at one meter. So very similar ability to kill other viruses, other bacteria in this case. Now, I'm very familiar with Mayo. My, my wife's got a form of lung cancer, and, and it, Mayo diagnosed it. Uh, and so it's, it's, it just it sells me immediately that, that Mayo has decided to put these robots in. And I see in Crunchbase, MD Anderson did a peer-reviewed study about the technology that showed the light strike robot was able to get a room 22 times more disinfected than traditional cleaning methods. And so that raises a question for me. Um, what is the adoption rate now, or, or is there interest within the government or the FDA, the, the CDC, about uh, getting more of these robots out there right now at this time? Yeah, so, so, so Mayo Clinic is, is a bellwether account, and, and the, uh, it was interesting. We, we've been doing some, pro, some proposals, and we submitted uh, uh, basically some decks to the government, and, and there, there's a, a doctor there named Priya Sampath Kumar, who I just consider a, a hero, and I called Priya and I said, I, I'm just curious, why were you willing to support this effort to bring these, these robots in to disinfect the hospital rooms? And without hesitation, she says, Mr. Miller, it was my civic duty. And she tested these robots extensively versus every other kind of UV device, and it took about four and a half years. So this isn't like an overnight decision. She published her own, or the Mayo Clinic published its own peer-reviewed study about this. And, and really, these are in way more than 500 hospitals worldwide. They're using them. And I, I think for the listener's point of view, the most interesting thing about the MD Anderson study to me was that in one arm of the study, they cleaned the rooms, and then they used Xenex, measuring how many pathogens there were after cleaning, and then after Xenex and it was 22 times better. And then even more interesting, they tested a number of rooms without doing any manual cleaning, and there was no statistically significant difference between whether they cleaned or not, other than that the rooms might have looked not as nice. So that's what really got us enthusiastic about the technology, because it turns out this pulsed xenon lamp within the system is so effective at disinfecting, it gets the job done. These housekeepers are given... Yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, I'm just I, I'm I'm impressed by the ingenuity of it uh, to begin with, uh, and then to know that they're actually out there. What what? How long does it take to manufacture one of the robots? So you know, you you, you have to go down your supply chain. So each subpart, you know, the the lift rails, the wheels, they, those all take I don't know weeks or whatever. When we actually are assembling it, when you think about it like assembling a, a Toyota truck or something like that, it's probably uh, 
less than uh, it's, it's about eight to 10 hours um, all in to actually assemble all the parts. But we've designed, we've engineered all of the sub assemblies to go together. So that has taken years to perfect because uh, these things get banged around in hospitals and, uh, and you want them to hold up um, and, and be reliable. And these are. Now, I, I, this this is your dumb question of the day, but but I know there are probably people who are asking it. Uh, I'm assuming you send the robot in, and and you don't have a human being in the room while the robot's there, given the light. Uh, so, I, well, right. The the what happens generally is the uh, the housekeepers go in, they'll place it in the ba- they'll clean the bathroom first, they'll place it in the bathroom and let it run for five minutes while they're cleaning the rest of the room. I mean, there's a lot of things to clean in the room. You know, the sinks. The trash cans, the the beds have to be turned over. There's there's usually cups left over. There's tons of stuff. So by the time they have the rest of the room clean, then they put it on the left side of the bed. They let it run for its five-minute cycle while they take all the garbage out. And then they come back and they run it a third time, flipping remote controls, nurses' call buttons. And, and, and we're very uh, prescriptive with the hospitals and other facilities. I mean, these are used in pharmaceutical manufacturing facilities, for example. This is how you run the robot to achieve the level of disinfection that's required to protect people or to protect the manufacturing space where they're going to make uh, the drugs. So they, they literally, they place the machines in a pharma facility. It works exactly like you would think a robot where it can move itself around back and forth, really like a, almost like an automatic lawnmower. In the healthcare facility, because we want them opening drawers, closing drawers, opening curtains, uh, uh, cabinets, there we have them manually place them because it turns out that's a lot faster than automated movement because automated movement relies on radar, LIDAR, all of these things. It would probably take another 20 minutes. It would be very cool, but it's not practical in a hospital. Right. I just, listen, I, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy and, and, uh, the, the profile of this, I've seen you on CNBC of late and, and all these other things and, and wanted to thank you for stopping by, um, just to talk about this. Cause I, I read the articles after Rick called and I was like, man, I, I can't believe I hadn't heard of this one. And two, it's such a, such a really cool concept, uh, that this is out there. And, and I, I knew about the mercury lamps, by the way, and, and one it's mercury and two that it just, it, it takes forever. And that you guys have been able to do this with a pulsing light, uh, that the ramp up time is, is nothing particularly compared to the mercury lights. Just, I mean, genius innovation. Yeah, the, the company was founded by two Johns Hopkins, Ph.D. epidemiologists, Mark Stibick, Julie Stohobiak, married couple dedicated to reducing the infections. And look, I'm grateful to be able to share this with you and your listeners, because this is a time when the government has a tremendous opportunity to step forward and say, you know what? It's been proven in hundreds and hundreds of hospitals. We need to get these everywhere to protect the U.S. population. So thank you. Sincerely, thank you. Absolutely. Morris Miller, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, the, the robot is the Light Strike robot. The company is Xenix, uh, X-E-N-E-X. Uh, Light Strike is the robot. And again, I, I literally was was in Jimmy John's on Sunday picking up lunch and the phone rang. And this is a Texas company. If I, I dearly love the Perrys. They are just some of the finest people to walk planet Earth. And, and I mean that very seriously. They're, they're wonderful people. And you could hear the excitement in the secretary's voice over this company. Part of that I know is because it's a Texas company. And I, this man has been lobbying me to move to Texas for years. And at some point, I'm probably going to wind up taking him up on it. Um, I love Georgia, y'all. But, I mean, Texas, come on. Um, 
I need good Tex-Mex right now. And my local Tex-Mex place just closed down because of this virus. So I got to be in Texas. But nonetheless, uh, and, and then I started researching this. And, and this really is a, a fantastic thing. Let me just read you this real quick. Um, so this is from, from crunchbase.com. Uh, Xenix robots have been deployed in more than 500 hospitals worldwide, including the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, the Mayo Clinic Health System, Stanford, 55 Veterans Affairs facilities, 10 Department of Defense Healthcare facilities. Its robots are in the UK, Europe, South America, Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. The numbers are increasing daily. The robots are now also used in other healthcare facilities, such as surgery centers and skilled nursing facilities, as well as pharmaceutical clean rooms, a Los Angeles police department station, and a Weston hotel in Houston. The robot is the only pulsed xenon UV device of its kind. While dozens of other companies manufacture mercury UV devices, the robot works significantly faster and more efficiently than other disinfecting methods. And the high-intensity pulse xenon UV, uh, by the way, that's environmentally friendly, it is effective and five minutes can deactivate viruses and bacteria in a room. This is American innovation at its best and its finest. We have this company in the United States, and given our the virus situation in this country, uh, it probably the, the government should, you, you know, there actually is, you've got what, there's a Toyota facility, I think, down in San Antonio that, that can't run its assembly line right now. We should be letting this company in there and ramp up the speed of, of producing these robots, get them out there in the public. Uh, and and get all the hospitals disinfected. Uh, what a great, marvelous technology, and it's an American company doing it, uh, and the country should be proud to have them. Well, um, so it wasn't an ad when I told you earlier, but the, the folks at First Liberty have reached out and said, uh, we should come back and, and start advertising. So I guess it is kind of an ad now. Uh, but in all seriousness, if you are a small business and you, you need to apply for a loan to meet your payroll obligations for the next couple of months, uh, seriously, my friends at First Liberty of Georgia, uh, they're building a loan. They make their own lending decisions, and they can actually help you get these government stimulus package loans to meet your payroll. And remember, if you keep your payroll, uh, you don't lay people off, uh, it becomes a grant. Uh, so it winds up not being a loan. Uh, and it, go to firstlibertyga.com. If you want all the stimulus information, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce actually has a very good guide that breaks it down for you and explains how this uh, works. Uh, and I put all this together, and there's a link to First Liberty as well. Text DATA to 33777. Text DATA to 33777, and I will send you back a link. Uh, and when you click the link, it opens a web page. And at the very top, there is a link to First Liberty. And below it, there's all the data on the viral spread and the projections from IHME that the White House uses. And below that, there's a section on the stimulus, and it has a uh, primer from the – or I'm sorry, if you're in law school, you say it's a primer. That's a primer from uh, the Chamber of Commerce that explains how your small business uh, can benefit from the stimulus package by getting low interest to no interest loans that convert to grants if you maintain your payroll over time. Uh, you can read all that from the Chamber of Commerce. You can go to First Liberty. Again, they help you. Whether you're listening in, in Georgia or California or Hawaii or Alaska, doesn't matter. Uh, regardless of where you are in the nation, they can help you get access to these loans. 
Uh, and now this wasn't an ad earlier. I just like them. Uh, they're great people, but now it, apparently it is an ad now because, because they've decided they would like to start advertising again. Um, but just go to firstlibertygia.com. If you text data to three, three, seven, 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 uh, you will be able to see all those links and there is a link to first Liberty. And I do highly recommend them. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, one of the people who was really early raising the flag on the virus, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. There's a big piece at National Review today about he was raising the red flag in January that this was going to be serious. And on January 31st, 2020, the Huffington Post ran an article. The headline is, don't listen to Senator Tom Cotton about coronavirus. The GOP senator has spread information and panic in a weeks-long meltdown over the disease. And the Huffington Post was not alone in this. Uh, here's another story from another reporter. I just assumed the U.S. system would be a little bit better, would be a little bit more robust, and do more testing and containment than China was able to do. Here's the, 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 the French Press Association. China's decision to lock down the city of Wuhan may have prevented more than 700,000 new cases. Or Politico, coronavirus quarantine, travel ban could backfire, experts fear. The government has broad legal authority to detain people in the name of public health, but politically and diplomatically, it could be complicated. All of these are headlines being circulated by the Chinese government against the United States. The Chinese government is now using American media outlet headlines from January and February around the world to blame the United States for the spread of the virus. Did you know that in Indonesia there have been riots outside the American embassy uh, because in Indonesia the Chinese have been running a, a paid propaganda campaign blaming the United States for the spread of the virus? There, there actually are riots in Indonesia because of this. Um, and the American media won't report it. They, they don't want to cover it. They don't want to delve into it, and they want to dismiss it. And do you know why? Every, with the exception of Fox News now, with the exception of Fox News, every single major news outlet in this country is owned by a major corporation that has a film studio. And that film studio needs access to China for the box office. So you have news outlets like CNN, where Fox News should probably get a restraining order against Brian Stetler at, at CNN's Reliable Sources because dude is obsessed with Fox. The difference between the two is that Fox News sold its, its movie to Disney, which owns ABC. CNN is owned by Warner, which owns Warner Brothers. NBC is owned by Comcast, which owns Universal. CBS is owned by Viacom, which owns Paramount. All of these companies, with the exception of Fox, have film studios that depend on the Chinese box office. And so the only network where you're going to get real information about China is Fox News, the one network that is not beholden to the Chinese box office to generate revenue. And these other companies are relentlessly pushing Chinese propaganda makes you wonder what's actually going on out there behind the scenes with some of these companies. And I happen to like and respect them, but man, questions need to be asked.